Well, we're continuing in this series on the book of Daniel, and we've been following Nebuchadnezzar for uh, a few chapters now. And we've noticed that he's had some moments of awareness and recognition of who God is. But as we pick up the story today, we realize that there is some deeper formation that he still needs to work through in his life. And as we look at this text, I want to trace his experience of formation and talk about how we in our own lives experience change and growth as we work past some of the the dysfunctional things in our lives that perhaps have a grip on our heart. How does change happen? You know, I think it's true in all areas of life that before things can get better, we have to begin by acknowledging what is broken, what needs to be fixed. We can experience this on a physical level. In order for us to overcome a disease, we first need a proper diagnosis and then go through sometimes a hard, painful process of treatment. For us to experience relational healing, we have to perhaps get some things out on the table, have some hard conversations, address what is really going on. Change begins by acknowledging what needs to be fixed. I was walking home from work a few years ago in Longview, and as I was walking through our backyard, the wire that was hanging from our house to our garage was smoking and sizzling in the center. As the rain fell on it, a squirrel must have chewed through the wire. Now, as I saw this, my initial reflex was to say, that looks expensive, I'm just going to hope that's not a big problem. I mentioned a couple weeks ago I'm not particularly handy, and so the reflex was to deny the problem. I went inside, I made dinner, played with the kids, and later headed up to bed. But as I was laying in bed at about 10 p.m., I heard an explosion, and half of the power in our house went off, and it appeared that I would have to face the problem Now, the reflex of denial was even deeper than that. I called an electrician friend, and I literally said, do you think I can just wrap duct tape around the wire? But he proceeded to tell me that in order to make things safe, in order to fix the problem, we were going to have to do this right. And that involved a process. We had to take down the old wire. We had to invest in some money. We had to dig a trench. There was some sweat equity. But in order to fix the problem, we had to address it and go through the process of fixing it. I would suggest to you that in the book of Daniel, we encounter this person, Nebuchadnezzar, who I would classify as an unsafe person, a person who is deeply broken in a lot of ways. In verse 27 of chapter 4, which we didn't read, Daniel confronts him and it says, renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. We encounter a man who, as we have seen through this story so far, has been oppressive. Just last week, we heard the story of how he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace because they would not bow to him. We see a man of deep wickedness. We also encounter a man who is overrun by pride, arrogance, narcissism. We notice at the beginning of our text, he says, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power 
for the glory of my majesty? Do you hear the eyes and the mys in there? This is a man who has a very inflated sense of self, and pride runs deep in his heart. And yet in this story, we, we notice that through some humbling circumstances, we see us turning towards God. And I want to explore this process of change in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And there's a couple parts to the process. As I mentioned above, it begins by acknowledging what is wrong, by coming to terms with the truth of what needs to be fixed. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream in chapter 4, and it's this dream of this mighty tree that is reduced to a stump. And he asks Daniel for interpretation and guidance, and Daniel speaks very honestly with Nebuchadnezzar that this tree represents him, that his mighty power will be brought down and he will be humbled. Nebuchadnezzar has to face this truth that he will be humbled. Now, Daniel plays a really prominent role in helping Nebuchadnezzar come to terms with truth. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I think we can read ourselves into the story as both Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And for some of us today, this text might be instructive to those of us in a Daniel position. For those of us who are called perhaps to confront or speak truth to someone that is going down the wrong path. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that hard situation where you see someone making some bad choices or you feel the desire, the need to speak truth to something. Daniel models for us how we help reveal what is really going on and have some of those hard conversations. Now, I believe Daniel models for us in a beautiful way what it looks like to speak the truth in love. That is one of the things Paul calls us to in one of his letters in the New Testament, to call us to speak the truth, but to do so in love. Now, Daniel, I notice, approaches Nebuchadnezzar at first with a tender heart, which I I think is actually surprising because Daniel has been the victim of Nebuchadnezzar's oppressive behavior, and yet he still has a heart for this man. We uh, read back in verse 19 of chapter 4, where he approaches Nebuchadnezzar saying this, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. But unfortunately, you are this tree. Isn't that this beautiful moment where Daniel says, I wish this wasn't the case, Nebuchadnezzar, but I got to tell you that this is a warning to you. Can we hear both the truth and the love held in tension by Daniel? He seems to be for Nebuchadnezzar. He, he wishes that he didn't have to be the bearer of bad news, and yet he is compelled to say what is true nonetheless. There is truth and there is love. You know, I think this is instructive for us as we seek to have hard conversations, to, to find this balance of being willing to have hard conversations, but to still have a heart for the people that we maybe have to speak truth to. In our class on the ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice last week, I referenced a quote from one of my professors at Regent, and this is a paraphrase, but Ross Hastings once said to me that there is an important difference between a prophet and a critic. 
Now, a critic loves to point out people's faults, and their motivation is actually to make people feel very low, to bring them down so that they will feel better about themselves. That is the critic, and that is not the role that we are called to play, and that is not the role that Daniel plays. The difference, though, between a critic and a prophet is that the prophet still loves the people. The motivation of the prophet is one of love, a desire to see people turn and live, not to just cut them down with a word of condemnation. We see that in Daniel's role here. And I believe this is actually the voice that God has towards us, God's heart towards us. The, the Holy Spirit, one of the roles is to convict us of sin, but it is not to just cut us down and make us feel oppressed and overwhelmed, but the desire of the Spirit is that we too would turn away and live. There is a, a loving motiva- motivation. In Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, a, a powerful verse, God says to Ezekiel, tell the people this, I, God, do not desire the death of the wicked. I desire that they would turn and live. Why will you die, O Israel? Turn and live. That is the voice of the prophet. It's the voice of God. And yet, there is in that love this willingness to speak truth. You know, I, I think this is, is a, perhaps a corrective to us as we seek to have hard conversations. You know, one of the things that I've noticed culturally is that I think we are being discipled and shaped not to take on the role of the prophet, but the role of the critic. You know, I see a lot of our conversations that happen online uh, that there is sometimes truthful things said, but there is this, uh, not a, maybe a motivation of love, but a desire to really dominate and, and to cut down our opponents. That's the broader cultural model for us. And I think if we're not careful, it will shape our hearts. And I, I am just deeply challenged and moved by Daniel's model here, where he actually sees those people that he struggles to love, those people who are in the wrong, those people who have hurt him, and he still desires that they would turn and live. There's a tenderness to his enemies. Perhaps that might shape some of our conversations. Well, we don't give up on truth. We don't give up on the hard conversations, but we actually desire what is best for our opponents. Remember, we are called to love our enemies. That is part of what Christian discipleship is about. So I'm wondering for you where this challenges you, where you're on on the spectrum. I think some of us maybe are lean towards love and maybe some of us lean towards truth and and we might be challenged to come to the center in different ways. When Julie and I went to a couples retreat a few years ago, the speaker used this silly metaphor, but it's something you'll remember. I said that some of us are like hedgehogs and some of us are like rhinos. And it's maybe just a helpful image to keep in mind. And you might locate yourself in one of these images, but the hedgehog just wants to run away and bury its head in the sand, right? That's the person that wants to avoid the hard conversation. I don't want to offend. I I don't want to deal with that. On the other spectrum, though, there's the rhino that maybe just charges in too intensely and just breaks things down. That's the person that's really about truth, but maybe needs to pull back with a sense of tenderness. I'm wondering where, where you maybe need to find that balance. Is it towards love? Is it towards truth? Can I remind us that it is loving to speak truthful things, even hard things? When I go to a doctor, if I have a, a serious disease, I wouldn't want him to withhold that because he's worried that I'll feel bad about it, right? Right? 
If I have cancer, I don't want the doctor to say, well, I don't want to offend him. I don't want him to feel bad, so I'll withhold that information. It is loving to hear the hard truth so that I can move forward. If my brakes are about to give out, I wouldn't want a mechanic who says, well, I don't want him to feel bad about that and have to pay money to fix it. I'd want to know about that before I'm going 60 miles an hour on the highway and the brakes give out. It is loving to speak truth. Can we hold those things together? Transformation, friends, I believe begins for Nebuchadnezzar by addressing what's really going on. Maybe some of us are called to that role. Maybe the Holy Spirit might even be convicting some of us today of some truth we need to hear. Some things that God might want to free us from. Some ways that God wants us to turn away from destructive things so that we might live and be free. But addressing the problem, hearing the problem, is just the first part of this process. There, there is one thing to acknowledge a problem, but there is a whole other thing to go on a journey of transformation. And that's the second part of this story today. We, we notice that Nebuchadnezzar can't simply give verbal assent to these truths, that, yeah, I maybe need to fix some things. He has to go now on a journey it's interesting that our text said for 12 months nothing happened, and perhaps Nebuchadnezzar at first acknowledged uh, to Daniel that he might have been right. But we see that the problems of oppression and arrogance and pride are so deeply ingrained in his heart and in his behavior that he needs more than mere words. He has to go on a process where he is humbled where these truths about reality are worked through into his very being that transform not just his mind, but his heart and his body and his actions. There's a holistic formation he is called to. And so we see that the dream is fulfilled, and for seven long years, he faces loss and suffering and humiliation and struggle. He had to face these things for these truths of God's power and for him to be humbled to actually come to existence in his life. David Foster Wallace is an American essayist, and he has this great quote where he says, The truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. And I, I think there's something very true about this thing, that we can acknowledge, maybe have verbal assent to some truth, but the call of Christian discipleship is to allow those truths to work their way into our very experience. And we see this in Scripture, that God often calls us to, to be forged through these refining times. Much of Scripture involves experiences of desert wandering in Daniel's story of exile experiences. Jesus himself said that if we are to gain our life, we have to lose our life and, and face this journey of taking up our cross. That formation is a full experiential process that sometimes is forged through things that feel like backward movement, like failure, like suffering, like struggle. You know, I, I think this is also perhaps instructive to us as Christians to prepare us for what the journey of spiritual formation is like. Dallas Willard wrote a, a great book a few years ago called The Great Omission. And he argues that often in the Western church, we have limited discipleship to just getting our facts right, 
to, to having a verbal assent of who Jesus is. And those facts are important, and that is an important part of discipleship. Our, our discipleship is rooted in a reality that we are called to understand, and we are called to love the Lord our God with our mind, but we are also called to love God with our heart and soul and strength. This is a holistic formation. And Willard says that we have sometimes misapplied or misread the Great Commission. And we have omitted an important word, and it is this word disciple. He says, sometimes we have framed the Great Commission as this. Go into the world and make converts who promote a verbal assent to who Jesus is. <laughs> That's how we've applied it. But the Great Commission says, go into the world and don't just make converts, but make disciples who learn to obey all that I have commanded. Do you hear the difference there? That we are invited not into just getting our facts right, but to learn how to live a life in the way of Jesus. This is a much bigger form, formative process. And I would suggest to you that this is much better news than the, the limited gospels that we preach. You know, I think sometimes the, the gospel that we hear is that I, I'm forgiven, and that's going to come in really handy someday when I die. <laughs> we have this, like, ticket to heaven gospel. But it doesn't really give us a lot of understanding about what happens between now and then. Now, there is good news for eternity, and we are saved by grace, not by works. But part of the good news is that what Christ has accomplished makes it possible for us to begin to live a new life now. That part of the gospel is not simply that we are saved from our sin, but we are saved into a new kind of life. That we have the Holy Spirit at hand. And that God wants to set us free from the things that are destroying our life and are wrecking our relationships and our world. We have the capacity by his strength and by his grace to become disciples who learn to live and obey all that Jesus has commanded. Can you hear the bigger invitation there? to be freed from these things that so easily entangle us. You know, one of the central images in this text, in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has, is one of pruning. That this mighty tree is reduced to a stump. And this is a common biblical narrative that sometimes growth and formation happens through cutting things down, through pruning and I want to just speak a word of hope to those of you today who perhaps are going through a season that feels like suffering. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he had this seven-year detour in his life that was marked by struggle and loss and failure. And yet we discover that this was one of the most important formative seasons in his life. Through this time, the truth of who God is was worked into his very being. As things were cut away, as there was loss, there was a rebuilding. And I want to encourage us, because I think a lot of us are facing a year that feels very much like an exile experience, like a desert experience, where we have suffered many losses, losses of what's normal. Maybe we are confronting our own brokenness in new ways as we're pushed to the limits of stress. Can I encourage you to know that God has the capacity to redeem these times. 
and that actually sometimes God's greatest kingdom work is being forged through seasons that feel like backwards movement, that feel like failure, that feel like suffering. Can we be open to the way that God can redeem and use and form us? Because my hope is that we would come to a place like Nebuchadnezzar comes to at the end of this text. We notice at the end of this story in verse 47, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Do you notice the shift here? In chapter 2 and chapter 3, he refers to God as your God, Daniel, or the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God is still held at arm's length. Now, through this process of struggle, where he is humbled, Nebuchadnezzar now says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. And the I then is shifted to the you because everything he, God, does is right and all his ways are just. We see a man who moves from holding God at arm's length to surrendering his life to God. That was forged through acknowledging what needed to be fixed and going through a process of formation. May we hold on to that call. And maybe be open to the ways that God, through some of the struggles that we are up against, can be doing a deep formative work in our hearts. May we, like Nebuchadnezzar, come to a place where we humbly acknowledge that God is who we need. May we praise and exalt his name. Would you join me in prayer? And so, God, I I pray that you would meet us wherever we are at today. That you would reveal some of the areas that you want to free us and form us into people that are safe people, that are loving people, freed from oppression and pride. And you give us courage to know when to speak those words of conviction in love towards others. But Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we will humbly surrender our lives to you. We pray this in your name.